0: hello world and welcome to the overtone warp zone this podcast is for people who enjoy games love music and want to know more about how their favorite songs work in season one we're taking a look at musical concepts found in pieces from super smash brothers ultimate i'm dan bergman and let's get started E3 2021 has come and gone, but not before delivering us our penultimate Smash Ultimate DLC fighter. Hailing from the Tekken series, the 11th DLC fighter is... Kazuya! Tekken is another of the fighting games to come out of the 90s, following the popularity of Street Fighter, and is notable for being one of the first 3D polygonal fighters. It started in arcades in 1994, and the first few entries in the series used similar hardware to the PlayStation and each entry since has been ported to a PlayStation console. As part of Kazuya's release, director of Smash Bros. Masahiro Sakurai discussed some of the challenges of porting characters directly into Smash Bros. Even though both Tekken and Smash involve fighting other players, the latter is more of a platform fighter with emphasis on verticality and movement, whereas the former is a traditional fighter with a focus on microspacing and combos. As a result, Kazuya's moveset had to be sped up and buffed to work properly. Tekken, being a traditional fighter, has a lot of moves from command inputs that would be impossible to include with simply just the attack and special attack buttons. As a result, many of these command input moves were included, just like for the fighters Ryu, Ken, and Terry. And, just like those fighters, Kazuya always faces towards his opponent in 1v1s to emulate the style of those traditional fighters. There are lots of other Kazuya features, including a special rage feature, command throws, and even a taunt combo. But you can look those up in Sakurai's Fighter introduction video. Speaking of that video, as a side note, many Smash fans' dreams of their characters joining the roster were once again dashed with the introduction of a series of Mii costumes, effectively eliminating their characters' potential of joining. The dual-sword-wielding Lloyd from Tales of Symphonia? Gone. The Dragonborn from Skyrim? Gone. Dante from Devil May Cry? Gone. Shantae from Shantae? Gone. But, this one managed to get a song from her game included. Burning Town from Shantae, Half-Genie Hero. I know a lot of people had high hopes that Shantae would make it in right from the beginning, so at least Smash Bros. gave them a little nod with this music included. And speaking of music, Kazuya brought with him a whopping 39 tunes from across all the Tekken titles. This is the second highest number of songs from a DLC fighter, following Fatal Fury's 50 songs. I listened through all these Tekken songs that are found in Smash Bros, and almost all of the songs share some things in common. All these commonalities really boil down to a strong emphasis on pulse. Most of the songs feature prominent drums playing some kind of rock beat. In other words, there's a strong emphasis on the backbeat kick, snare, kick, snare. Most songs are also within a tempo range of about 150-170 to beats per minute, which happens to be like a decent heart rate for someone doing some cardio. There's also a de-emphasis on elements like harmony and melody. Instead, many songs use samples or riffs, with lots of repetition, over a simple chord pattern or even just a single chord. The obvious function of all of this is to elicit a feeling among the players as they play, even a physical response as a result of the music. It's supposed to amp you up. That said, there are some tracks that definitely stand out among the others. Most notably, Yodeling in Meadow Hill. But that's not the song of the episode. This is Bitcrusher, pulled straight from Tekken 4, composed by Satoru Kosaki. As opposed to most of the tracks that are some form of like techno or metal, this track refreshingly features mostly acoustic instruments, but maintains that frantic up-tempo feel the soundtrack has. It's definitely got some cowboy bebop vibes. Now what I really want to bring our attention to is this screaming organ solo in the middle of the track right here. dirty tone so perfectly fits the chaotic energy that this tune brings how does somebody achieve this effect well kasaki gave away that answer with the very title of the song bit crusher while the term bit crusher may bring to mind the idea of a couple of fighting characters duking it out It's actually the name of a type of distortion that sound designers can use that essentially removes information from an audio signal to the point where it sounds garbled. A really great example of a popular song using Bitcrusher is Daft Punk's Short Circuit. Near the end of the song, the effect is slowly ramped up more and more, so you can really hear the difference between no Bitcrusher, a little bit of Bitcrusher, and so on as you continue on. My favorite example of bit-crushing is in Porter Robinson's Goodbye to a World. Once again, the effect is applied more and more between the start and the end of the song, but only to the Vocaloid vocals, to the point of being completely unintelligible. What I love about its use here is that the song is painting a story of the feeling of losing something really big. Robinson played an MMORPG called Star Wars Galaxies, which ceased being profitable in 2011, so they shut their servers down. Now, this in and of itself may seem insignificant, but seeing as how immersive MMORPGs can be and how much meaning people can find in them, pulling the plug on these games is an apocalyptic event, destroying a world that can never be returned to. As the song progresses, the voice gets more and more garbled to the point of that plug being pulled and that world ceasing to be. (laughs) i <laughs> Of course, there doesn't have to be all this meaning behind the use of bit crushers. At the end of the day, it's an effect that distorts sound, which sounds cool. So let's break down how this works. When an acoustic sound is recorded, it's converted to a digital signal. Picture in your mind a pure waveform. It gently curves from rest up through a crest, back down through a trough, and back up to rest again. That's what a pure analog waveform looks like. When it's electronically recorded, this curve needs to be approximated digitally by placing dots along that curve. These dots can never exactly precisely duplicate the pure, smooth curve of an analog signal, but it can get pretty darn close. Just listen to my voice for example. If you've ever met me in real life, you would probably not be able to tell much of a difference between my recorded voice and my analog voice. That's because the approximation of the dots along the waveform that is my digitized voice are so numerous that there's no perceivable difference between the two. Technology is pretty amazing. There are two main parameters that we talk about that have to do with bit crushing that are used in digital audio samples. The bit depth and the sample rate. Put as simply as possible, the bit depth determines the number of dots you could add vertically, or to the amplitude of a waveform, And the sample rate determines the number of dots you can add horizontally, or to the wavelength of that waveform. Let's take a quick look at each. Bit depth is represented by a number of bits. Since bits can store one of two binary pieces of information, bit depth increases exponentially as its bits increase. So for example, a bit depth of one can make two points on a wave's amplitude, a bit depth of two can make four points, a bit depth of three can make eight, and so on. Three common bit depths that are used in audio media are 16 bits, 24 bits, and 32 bits, which can make over 65,000 points, 16 million points, and 4 billion points, respectively. That's a lot of information. In a bit-crushing program, there's a parameter called resolution, which adjusts the bit depth, usually from a maximum of 32 down to 1. Let's test it out on my voice and see what it sounds like. For higher bit depths, you won't be able to tell much of a difference, but as the bit depth lowers, more noise will be introduced to the signal and the more crushed it will sound. Alright, right right now you're listening to my voice where the only effect is the bit crusher. You're listening to my voice at a 32-bit bit depth. Now the bit depth is 24, and you probably can't tell much of a difference, and in fact you probably won't for a long time. This is a bit depth of 16 bits. This is a bit depth of 10 bits, and you might start to hear a little bit of a difference, but these next ones I guarantee you will. This is a bit depth of 6 bits. Now you're listening to a bit depth of 5 bits. And after a few tests, this is actually the furthest you'll be able to hear me at 4 bits. Beyond this, it's completely just unintelligible. In case you couldn't tell, that was me at 4 bits. Everything else is unintelligible after that. Next, let's take a look at sample rate. Audio needs to be sampled many times over the course of a second in order to preserve audio quality, especially higher frequencies. If you want to take a look at some fun math that helps us determine a usable sample rate for audio, take a look at the Nyquist limit. Ultimately, a sample rate of at least double the limits of human hearing should be used. Now humans can hear frequencies of up to 20,000 times per second, or 20 kHz. Therefore, some common sample rates used in audio are 44.1kHz or 48kHz, more than double that 20kHz we talked about. Again, this number determines how many dots you can place horizontally along a waveform. In a bit crusher, sample rate is adjusted by a parameter called downsampling. Usually this is represented by a multiplier. One times, two times, three times, etc. These values reduce the sample size by the amount given. So say we start at 48 kilohertz. If you set the downsample to two times, that would reduce the sample rate to half of that, in other words, 24 kilohertz. Setting it to four times would reduce it to one quarter of that, in other words, 12 kilohertz, and so on. As the sample size is reduced, higher frequencies will be distorted or ultimately disappear, and the quality of sound will diminish. Again, my voice is only affected by a bit crusher. Right now my downsampling is set to one time, so it's unaffected at 48kHz. Now the downsampling is set to two times, and you can already start to tell a difference. Now the downsampling is set to three times, now it's set to four times, and now five times. This is ten times downsampling, this is fifteen times downsampling, this is twenty times downsampling, this is thirty times downsampling, and this is times downsampling. Bit depth and sample rate are the two main parameters of bit crushers. Adjusting them together to find a distortion suited to your needs is what bit crushers do. For example, this is a bit depth of 8 bits and downsampling of 5 times. And this is a bit depth of 10 bits and a downsampling of 11 times. That's how we end up with this organ tone in the Tekken 2 listen to. And the concept is so wonderful, the developers just had to name the song after it. well everybody thank you so much for listening to this episode for those of you who are listening to this podcast for the first time thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this and i really would love for you to go back and look at the rest of the catalog of episodes find a music topic you're interested in or find a song that you like have a listen and tell me what you think for my longer time listeners thank you for sticking it out the last time that we had an episode was close to a year ago it's been a super long time This last year has been challenging for many people in many ways and there's been more on my plate in this last year which is why there haven't been episodes basically since a year ago. So, uh, that being said, you can expect more episodes to come of Overtone Warp Zone. I'm for sure going to be finishing out season one, so to speak, which is where we're talking about Smash Bros. music. We're at least going to get through all of the DLC fighters which means that I'm going to go back and talk about Minecraft characters, Uh, Sephiroth, and... What was the other one? Pyra and Mithra. I'm gonna go back and make an episode on each of those. A few extra episodes, and then for sure the last DLC character. And then, I've had an idea since basically the beginning of making this podcast. Maybe episode 3 or 4 of... Sort of like a a magnum opus. Season 1 concluding episode. And I've been working on it for for years. And I'm really excited to to bring it out to the world. Uh, It's not gonna be able to come out until the last DLC character is announced... So that's coming. That'll be like the official wrap-up to the first season. I still kind of want to come back and visit some songs that interest me after that point. So we'll see where it goes. I'd also love for you to check out the YouTube channel for Overtone Zone because there's content that's different from the kind of content I'm producing here. There's stuff like video game and non-video game music covers, mostly uh, recorder-based. There are some gaming videos in there, there's some music topic videos, and there's more to come there as well. If you want to keep up to date with what's going on with Overtone Warp Zone, you can follow me everywhere on social media at Overtone Warp Zone. If you have any comments or questions or if you have ideas for future episodes, you can send me DMs on those places or you can email me at OvertoneWarpZone at gmail.com and of course this podcast is found anywhere that podcasts are found. If you like the content that I'm producing, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can find me there at Overtone Warp Zone. Your support encourages me to keep producing this stuff and I really, really appreciate it. Once again, thank you so much for listening and for your support. And until next time, keep playing.